We're glad you could join us for episode 83 of Fatalist. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. And uh, I didn't work today. How was it? Uh, normal, everyday <laughs> kind of stuff. Right. Running around all day, so I didn't uh, get a chance. I'm sorry. Um, you know, lunch was lunch, but it wasn't lunch without you, Vito. Yeah, well, all right. I'm sure it was uh, just as noisy. Yeah, because obviously well, we have to uh, shout to each other just to get a word in. But true that story for another day. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, we'd love to hear from the listeners via email at fatalistpodcast at gmail dot com or the website fatalist.podbean.com where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab or just record your own audio clip and send the mp3 as an attachment tonight we're here to discuss season one episode eight of james cameron's cyberpunk series dark angel starring jessica alba and michael weatherly but before we get to that wayne a little bit different tonight okay it's going to be a do it's a do we care okay well that's that's not different that's not different, but do we care that you and I totally disagree about the two new superhero shows, The Flash and Gotham? I'll, I'll let you have the well, platform first. I, I do care, Dave, because I'm worried that this is affecting our relationship. I don't understand okay. why you don't see the awesomeness of Gotham. Yeah, and, and that's where you know the problem lies. I think we both agree that we like Flash. I may even like Flash more than you do, although uh, we haven't talked about it a lot. Yeah, of course, you were. And I still haven't seen the second episode yet. But I, I mean, I did like the first episode. It's not like I didn't like the Flash. Okay, see, I love the first episode. But let's go back to Gotham for a second. Okay. I think part of my problem, and, and you know, way back when, Josh, probably a year, maybe two years ago, on the website, you know, I admitted I had very little experience in the comic book world, very little experience with movies that had been made by DC, by Marvel, and I'm really getting into it, and I, uh, in a large part to uh, your prodding, but uh, I think the thing about Gotham is just this overly stylized approach to the Batman myth, and, and it, it just takes me back to the 1960s, and you know, while not as silly as Burt Ward and Adam West, it just it's just a little too over the top for me. Hmm. Well, see, I don't like silly isn't a word I would even put remotely. I think it's a very, very serious um, for especially for a superhero uh, show. You know, it's it really takes itself seriously. The humor is very minimal in Gotham. Um, I can I kind of see what you mean because you're you're right. The settings and a lot of it and the way it's filmed is very very stylized. No question about it. Um, I kind of find it like almost cinematic. I think, uh, but I, you know, I, I kind of like it. I can see how it would get in the way, though. I, I, I do. I get that point there of, of yours. Um, I think probably the the best thing about Gotham. I mean, I think it's a very, very well written show. I love watching, like, seeing the development. Bruce Wayne, just a kid, isn't even like Batman is is not even an idea in his head yet. But maybe it's starting to become one. We see each week as he. Um, you know, becomes more experienced and realizes more of what his city is like, what his company is like, things like that. It's uh, pretty wild. But I think the what I really, really, really like is the cast. Now, you don't like Donald Logue. I do. I think he's fantastic in here. Um, the guy who plays uh, Gordon, I, Ben's, I can't remember. I, I, you know, I know he was on another show. Like, I think Southland, I believe he was on. Um, I think Ben McKenzie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. 
I think he's great. I think he's really good. I like how he plays Gordon. I know a lot of people have knocked it saying, oh, it's just a cliche, rookie cops in, trying to fight corruption and everything. I'd say, yeah, it kind of is that, but it's like, I don't know, it just seems so much different and everything. And there's there's very few strictly bad or strictly good characters in the show so far. So I don't know. Well, you know, when you talk about the settings and, and you know, the storylines, you know, I, I hear where you, hear what you're saying and I don't totally disagree. And while I really don't like the overly stylized approach, that's not what keeps me from liking the show. You mentioned the actors. There's nobody I like. I mean, there's not one actor that I like in the show. I mean, maybe the girl that plays, uh, you know, the young girl, Celia Kyle. Right. But you know, even that, so I guess it's just, I have a hard time getting past the fact that I don't like anybody in the show. I don't like the actors. You know, it's almost like I don't like the actors more than I don't like the characters. So I don't know. I just just can't, I can't see that. Oh, I think the actors are awesome. I'm loving it. Especially, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is uh she's just great like and she definitely plays it over the top like a lot but it's it's like it's like perfect you know it's just like and everything i don't know so no i was just gonna say i guess at this point we're just gonna have to continue to agree to disagree i i can't see picking it up again wow all right. Well, that's that's it. So, the Flash. Then let's let's talk about the Flash and again. I can only talk about the first one, so no spoilers for the second one because you said there's a pretty big reveal in there. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I, I what I see the Flash as being just kind of more of a fluffier type uh, superhero thing. It's it's like light. It's much more funny. Uh, I get that, and um, you know, I, I do like the time travel element. That they've introduced into it, and who's the uh, who's who's the guy? Who's the 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 dude who runs the the lab? Oh yeah, I can't think of his name. Um, right, but yeah, uh, he, he, I, I mean, I know I know the actor. I can't think of it now. It's been like two weeks since I've seen the show, but uh, it's good. I, I think it's it was very standard, fair kind of origin story stuff. Nothing really spectacular. Nothing new. Uh, and I guess that's one thing that I say, well, I don't like it as much as Gotham because I saw the pot of Gotham as being, I was just blown away. I'm like, I have not seen anything like this before. And with The Flash, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like every superhero show or movie ever. The, the With the origin story, it's the same thing. Parents, something happens to the parents. Uh, the kid grows up alone, alienated on the outside. Something happens to him that's supernatural, and all of a sudden he's got these abilities, and he's going to use well, them to help well, people. That sounds like Bruce Wayne, exactly. Uh, right, except but Gotham doesn't go there, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think though the difference for me with Flash is I like everybody immediately. I mean, y- you know, the uh, crew at the scientific lab that you're talking about, you know, the the young guy who's kind of the little tech genius. I love him. I, I don't even know what the actor's name is, but I love the character right away. I like the actor, you know, the girl that's his uh, co-worker, you know, who's sort of the the skeptic, the stick in the mud. I, I, I just like everybody right away. So I don't know, you know, is it, oh, look, it's not going to be Arrow. It, it clearly is not going to be dark like that, but I, I don't know that I call it fluff. That's for sure. Well, you know, so, to each their but, own. Uh, why, why don't we leave it at that? We, okay. we could, uh, you know, we, we could go on for a while, but, uh, you know, we'll see how both shows transpire. 
All right, so uh, sci-fi yeah, good news. Good luck to both those shows, right? I mean, yeah, I hope absolutely. They both, uh, we're able to maintain that. I, you know, I mean, the thing about Gotham is it's got a lot of pretty high name actors. Uh, Bruno Heller, who did I don't know if do you ever see the, the story uh, the series Rome on HBO? I saw some of it. Okay, yeah. well, that was Bruno Heller, the guy who who's the creator, the showrunner for um, for Gotham did Rome. Uh, so you know. He, I don't, I, I don't know if I can say I see his hand in a lot of this uh, because the two shows are so vastly different. But, um, you know, both sides, both shows definitely looked at the dark side of human nature, without a doubt. Yeah, um, well, clearly I'm in the minority for Gotham because the critics love it, as do the fans. So, you know, again, I, I don't think either of us wants any genre show canceled. Right. Well, may, maybe some, but... Uh, right. Not not ones that we watch. So I'm just saying, so. Gotham looks like they're running a pretty big budget. So you know they're going to have to really pull down some numbers to stay afloat. You know I don't know yeah. if the Flash will have to pull down the same type of numbers. Well, obviously they don't because it's on the CW, right? Well, that's true. So all right. Well, anyway, uh, let's take a little bit of news tonight. And you know there are a few genres that engender as much passion as science fiction fans of television and film, but. Right now, stamp collectors are not far behind. Wayne, were you ever a stamp oh, collector? Wait, as a kid? I know what stamp collectors are called. Um, Make sure but, you get it right. We don't want to uh, get a FCC violation or <laughs> right. Uh, it's like P H A E L, right? Something like that, or philatelist. Philatelist, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, clearly you're not a stamp collector. I, well, I well, did for a little bit when I was like, my mom was always trying to get me to do stuff, like to be into stuff, you know. Uh-huh. And so one time she had the idea that um, that I I would be into stamp collecting, so she kind of forced it upon me. And okay. uh, just like everything else, she tried it. You know, it really anything that wasn't uh, football or lacrosse, it just just yeah. didn't take. Yeah. Well, I was always a collector, and. Uh, if you're not a stamp collector, you might not be aware that the Postal Service in- unveiled some new commemorative Batman stamps in honor of the Dark Knight's 75th anniversary. Nice. The stamps debuted this... Well, not everybody thinks so. Really? The, st- the stamps debuted this month, which is also National Stamp Collecting Month, and the USPS says they're selling well. Now, as people mail fewer and fewer items, the Postal Service continues to experience financial problems as it struggles to stay afloat. So... What's a business that's barely solvent to do? Well, how about joining forces with the major properties to generate buzz any way it can? USPS spokesman Mark Saunders notes the deal is a great opportunity to make stamps more relevant to everyone. Now, the Batman release is the latest in a line of mass media collections. They did Harry Potter last year, and stamp collectors see it as yet another slap in the face of the hobby. According to Bloomberg Businessweek, traditionalists believe these tie-in stamps are devaluing a system that had previously been used to honor American achievements, i.e. the moon landing, presidents, and uh, you know, certainly people that made a cultural or sociological impact on the country. Well, these guys just have to get together and form a voting block, and they can really affect some change here, I think. Well... Former U.S. Postmaster General Benjamin Baylor, not surprisingly, a prominent stamp collector himself, actually resigned from the USPS's Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee because he so passionately opposed the current Batman run. That was the shockwaves I felt. According to Baylor, stamps featuring movie characters and superheroes have prostituted the system in an effort to make money, which has ruined the stamp program. Wayne, I've seen them, and they're awesome. 
And if I wasn't so lazy, I'd definitely go down and buy a sheet to display in the studio. Uh, I put a link in the show notes to, uh, you know, if you want to, I guess you can actually, I say, I, I don't even have to go to the post office. It looks like I can order them on mail, uh, online. So right. they really are awesome. And, uh, uh, yeah. you know, I might get a sheet too. You can put it up there with the Elvis ones I have that I don't know where they are actually, but I, I mean, they're like nine bucks and it looks like there are four different designs. And when you buy a sheet, it ends up being, I think maybe four of each design altogether, but, uh, really cool. Yeah. Looking. I wonder if the people at the post office and say, all right, guys, I know I'm upset, but seriously, it's Batman. Yeah, really. So, all right, well, let's uh, segue away from Batman and get into, uh, you know, what it is we really want to talk about tonight, and that is Dark Angel episode, Cold Comfort. Oh, I really which, just want to talk about Gotham and the Flash. I haven't even yeah, watched the show yet. <laughs> which aired November 28th, 2000, written by Jose Molina. And no, he's not one of the famous Molina catching family, Benji, Jose, and Yadier. Jose Molina also wrote two episodes of Firefly. I say, and I know that name sounds familiar, so... Yes, and he uh, wrote Seven of Dark Angel, and it was directed by Jeffrey Levy. We had a time frame for Dark Angel, but we get it narrowed down a little more in this episode that it's late January of 2020 because Herbal wants next Friday off to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Bob Marley's birth. You actually looked that up, huh? I did look it up, yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that messed me up because when Lydecker, when they were looking at his bio, they said, yeah, he was born in 1968. I'm like, what? He's only two years older than me. This show was made in 2000. And I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, it's supposed to be 2020. Yep. So, So, uh, all right, you know, Wayne, a couple of things. And, you know, it's all well and good to have an A story and a B story. And most TV shows have been doing that for quite a while and dark angel has kind of evolved into just an a and a b but the b i don't get it in this episode tonight i mean the b story really revolves around jam pony right and the fact that an investor from india wants to buy it right craziness ensues right. as they come up with a plan to discourage him because they're afraid that uh, he will come in, make the business profitable, probably end up raising their salaries, but uh, they don't see it that way. So I, I don't, I don't see that it pushed anything anywhere. I mean, you know, sometimes when Max is involved, I get it, but right. tonight, I don't know. Okay, Dave, you say this every week, and every week I say the same thing. So I'm just going to take a moment to explain the concept of comic relief to you. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> because that's all it is. It is pure, simple comic relief. You're right. It has absolutely nothing to do with the main story at all. Um, the the Jam Pony characters are there just to provide relief from the tension of, of Max's story, which there is no humor in that whatsoever. Yeah, but it's 42 minutes for crying out loud. I can be tense for 42 minutes. Yeah, but but it's funny, though. You know, it is funny. I thought this particular one especially was very funny. I liked it. I even liked sketching it. Uh, see, I guess I would rather see, and as you know, you know, uh, I'm right now obsessed with reruns of Castle, which for me are all new. And you know, they're you know they weave the humor and the comic relief within the within the storyline. So I don't know, but anyway, Normal lets the crew know that things are going to be changing. He mentioned you know fresh coats of paint over the graffiti. Yeah, the jacket. It was hilarious. <laughs> Normal's hero is George H. W. Bush. It was 
There's there's some good stuff in there, man. All right. Well, you know, he mentions digital locators for the riders, which, you know, obviously makes sense as do, you know, really the the jacket does make sense because it's going to make them more visible. And and as normal says, it's going to, uh, you know, lend a sense of, of propriety to the Jamponi riders. Uh, you know, he mentions he designed it himself and Max says, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Little, uh, little verbal irony there. That, yes, uh, that uh, he completely misses, as well as he missed the fact that when people who normally really loathe you are suddenly nice to you, and then they offer you a cup of coffee, under no circumstances at all should you drink that cup of coffee, nor should you suddenly trust these people just because they're being nice to you. Oh my it's goodness! It's crazy. And he actually even commented that it tasted good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's um, you know, I just I, I was telling you how I um. Got finally got the DVD, actually the Blu-ray for uh, X-Men: Days of Future Past, which was so good, it sent me back uh, this past weekend watching like not all of them, but all the the good X-Men movies. And then in the second one, uh, Rebecca Romaine is kind of hooking up with a, this security guard in the bathroom. He's not nothing to look at. And uh, after he she double crosses him, uh, Magneto says to him, "You know, never trust a beautiful woman, especially one that's interested in you." And so, you know, Normal should take similar advice here and be on his guard rather than you know, kind of like, "Hey, all right, guys, now you like me, huh?" Good point. So. All right. Well, you know, we learned quite a bit in this episode and, and, you know, they're really pushing the story forward. The one thing that, that occurs to me out of this episode has to do with Lydecker. And, you know, I'm wondering, does he really care for these kids in some twisted logic way? I mean, I mean, aside from the fact that, that, you know, it is his project. I mean, he, he, constantly refers to them as his kids right. and, and i almost see it like in a fatherly way yeah but also as a coach would refer to his players though as well right well yeah but you coached as did i and i mean you know you care about sure, your kids sure but in a more objective way than a parent i think you know yeah so but but but, but, I mean, it's like he thinks he's doing something good for them. I mean, you know, you and I, I mean, we, we know we were doing something good for them. But, right. you know, well, of course, we're, he, we're turning them into assassins on the field. Right, exactly. Um, Lidecker took a big step in becoming probably the single most compelling character in this show right now. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what to think about this guy. You know, he... You, know, you you don't trust him, but then he helps. He's helping them out. But he's got his own agenda. You're right. He seems like he calls him his kid. So does he actually have some kind of almost maybe parental affection for the uh, Manticore kids, or is he, you know, like a coach, like a football coach, sitting up in the in the top of the tower as practice goes on, letting his assistants do the work, and then sending him out? You know, it's just. Uh, Man, I don't, I don't know what to think about this guy. And there's no, the questions are only compounded by the end of this, right? Like at yeah. the end of it, like I now I, I'm even more don't know what. Before he was just a straight up bad guy. Now, and we even we saw it a little bit last week as well. You know where he, there's times he seems like like when he was talking to Max and he didn't know his Max. You know, there's times you felt like well, he really seems like he really does care for uh, the kids in his charge. You know, maybe there is some humanity in him, and then he uh, he totally shoots that guy, just yeah. cold-bloodedly. You know, right now is this the first time we heard the reference 
uh, of them as being the X five kids. I, I don't know, but I don't think so. But I'm not well, sure. Well, anyway, well, even if it's not, I mean, it certainly was much more prominent in this episode. Yeah, and, I, and I guess my question, you know, why is he so, uh, you know, focused on getting the X five kids back? I mean, is it simply that he's afraid his project will be revealed? Or does he feel like he's going to re-indoctrinate them into his project? I mean, I don't know. Well, and then part of it is you're safer with me. You're not safe out here. People want to grab you. People want to kill you. People want to cut you up and take you apart and figure out how you tick. When you're inside with Manticore, you're safe. And so he, he definitely was playing that angle. So was he just playing an angle? Um, for was it Bryn? It's that's it was actually the truth, right? She was not yeah. safe out in the real world. Uh, Manticore was able to cure her, right? And you know why she wasn't safe? We're not sure. Zach seems to imply that it was her fault, but uh, uh, and and the other thing we learned that you know some X fives suffer seizures, as does Max, and some suffer progeria or rapid aging as we see in Bryn tonight. So, uh, you know, why don't we take a look? Opening scene, we're at Senor Fico's butcher shop, which is in this really disgusting rundown area, the <laughs> dirty floor tiles, cracked, broken. The guy goes into the freezer and finds a young woman, frost all over her body, sitting on the floor, apparently dead. We but, assume she's dead, but... Yeah, as soon as they go in closer, she opens her eyes and runs out the front door runs down that alley and we immediately see what she sees and it's that same visual acuity that we've seen through Max's eyes so we know right away she's got to be one of the kids and then the barcode just uh yeah. you know well, I, reinforces I think it. when you know we thought she was dead and her eyes opened up in the freezer that was like oh well she's probably one of the kids Right. Now we see Bryn make a phone call and, and you know, we figure it's to Zach. Right. Par- apparently she had been living in LA and had a close call. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, you know, clearly there are other people that want these kids because of their genetic engineering. And, and like, as is even mentioned, even dead, they're worth a million dollars. Right. Because of the genetic coding. Yes. Um, well, Lydecker agrees to a job to take out the, I guess it's to take out the Pope, I mean, right? That's how I heard it. I don't know who they're talking about, but yeah, there's like the Vatican and um, there's someone that's got to be taken out of the Vatican situation, he calls it. And there's, right, there's because, a friend, uh, our friend that might bring down the Mediterranean. First of all, what the hell is the Mediterranean coalition anyway? You well, know, sort of like the Monroe Republic, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and then he tells the guy, you know, my kids, have they ever let you down? So then we obviously can infer that he's been using his Manticore kids to act as assassins. Right. And to, you know, so on the one hand, while he seems the loving father or at least caring father, he's still sending them out on dangerous missions of, uh, you know, certainly borderline moral standards. So right, uh, just that whole thing, like the Mediterranean Coalition. I'm like, I'm just trying to imagine, like, I'm trying to picture this world and the you know geopolitical situation that exists outside of America, right? Yeah, um, because that's he doesn't say Europe, he doesn't say Southern Europe, he doesn't say the Middle East. He says the Mediterranean Coalition, which is kind of weird. Right. Well, the other interesting thing is then after they agree to this this deal. 
he brings up the idea that his project needs more funds. And I guess I would have thought that Project Manticore, because of what it's been able to accomplish, would certainly be well-funded, but apparently that's not the case. And a lot of it apparently has to do with the 12 X-5s that escaped. But that was 10 years ago. Yeah, right. I mean, the guy says he needs to show progress. He's like, "Um, I created a bunch of people who are genetically mutated who can do crazy shit that other humans can't do. How's that for progress? Yeah. Like, what do you want, man? Do you want them to do do magic tricks so they have to find a trapeze? Like, seriously? Like, what do you mean progress? I'm pretty sure the, the demonstrable progress here. Yep. Well, Max returns to her place, finds a window broken and a bleeding Zach. And he had apparently gone to meet Bryn. They were ambushed. Bryn was taken. And he uses a lot of his uh, ninja uh, ninja moves to scale the car and all that. But not enough, end, though. Yeah, not enough. And he thinks that it's Lydecker that has taken Bryn. And, of course, why, why would Fair we think enough, otherwise right? yeah, at this point? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, she takes him to Logan's to get patched up, and Zach is one angry dude. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, he's all kinds of bitter. Well, you know, and, and I guess it got me to thinking, why is he so angry? And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, he, he mentioned several times that he feels like he didn't do his job protecting the 12. And I wonder if it's just that he doesn't want the job, but that it's his job. Right, and it's going to be his job until he dies so, or they die. A duty that was forced upon him that he right. he does not relish. You know, it's a responsibility that he didn't necessarily seek out. You know, I kind of get the impression that he's just so like he can't even see outside of his his world and his worldview and this idea of being a soldier. Everything he says, all, even the language he uses, is all military terms. Right, and right. he can't even fathom anything that exists outside of that. And that's why he, he says to Logan, you know, you're a danger to Max. Right. You know, she, well, she's staying here because of you and she's in danger because of you. Right. And, and I mean, look, he's not stupid and he's not blind. I mean, he can see people that have lives that are quote unquote normal. And, and does he want that? Well, you know, I guess we're, we're not going to really know, but at Logan's, he tells her that Bryn messed up. He doesn't plan a rescue mission. You need to accept what happened and move on. And, you know, like you mentioned, look, I mean, he and Max have been butting heads ever since the two have come into contact again. And that's not going to change. And I forget Logan's exact line, but, you know, he says, look, this girl's going to do what she's going to do. And us saying something's not going to change it. So you either get on board or get out of the way. Right. Either back off or join in, right? Yep, exactly. And uh, uh, it, sh- it shows a, a basic understanding of Max that that uh, Zach completely lacks. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously you understand that Zach is somewhat suspicious of Logan, but Max vouches for him and he kind of eases up a little bit. Uh, you know, Logan doesn't detect any military traffic out of the city, surmises that Bryn must still be in Seattle. Um, and then he does that background check on Lydecker. You mentioned a few minutes ago about Lydecker's uh, birth date of 1968. But, uh, wow, you know, we got a lot of info on his background. Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, maybe some motivation there. He had a wife who was murdered. And, again, you know, is this maybe, you know, Max, I am your father. You know, 
potentially. Well, you, well you never know, but it, we don't really know why his wife was murdered. I right. mean, we find out he was top of his class, Delta Force, and then wife was murdered in 1995, and then that totally changed his outlook. He became an alcoholic, and I, I'm not sure how he got hooked up with uh, Manticore after having all of those problems. Maybe well, got, they said he got like back on track and, and everything, so... Like they right. mentioned it in his bio. Right. And then we see him at that AA meeting and you think he's going to go up there and, and tell this heart wrenching story. And, uh, no, yeah. Right. It seems to me like he would be the worst AA speaker ever. Like, oh my gosh. It's like you worship at the altar of self pity. He tells them <laughs> they're like, all oh, right, dude, that's going to help. Yeah. Max kidnaps Lydecker as he's leaving the AA meeting and, Right away, apparently that wasn't part of the plan. And that's something that even gets uh, mentioned in this episode. I think even Lydecker mentions it. You know, I taught you to always have a plan. What's your plan? And she hasn't necessarily really thought it through. But we've seen this in Max before where she makes it up as she yeah. goes along. And and while not ideal, it has been successful for her. Yeah, she's just uh, she's very impulsive. And yeah, like you said, it seems to work so far. It's like... Adam Jones, you know, he's not going to lay off that low outside fastball, right? Nice. It works, doesn't work, but, you know, like, but for the most part, it does work. Sometimes it doesn't, for the most part, it does. So, you know, it's yep. just you're not going to change, which is what Logan said before. You're not going to change her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's silly to try. So either yep. help her or piss off. Yep. Well, they've got him tied, blindfolded to a chair. He recognizes Zach's anger immediately especially after he uses Bryn's name, which apparently was one of the names that the kids, you know, assigned themselves. And he denies having Bryn and, you know, then brings up the fact that any of a number of foreign governments would love to have the Manticore technology. Zach wants to just kill him and be done with it. But Max believes him when he tells them that he doesn't have her and is obviously it would behoove them to keep him alive. And yeah, especially you know. he breaks his own freaking finger, man. That oh was, my God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Here's, here's one down. You got nine to go. Oh, it's like, you can't torture this guy. That's, that's not going to work against him at all. Oh, oh my God. The only thing worse would be to cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> or he bit it uh, off. That'd been worse. Oh, even better. Yeah. Right. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> now, Logan finds out that the Chinese military has been in the market for genetic biotech. Word is that their order has been filled, which we then two and two together and figure that's Bryn. But we've got to figure out now still who has her. Uh, Zach thinks Max ignored her training, stayed in Seattle because of feelings for Logan, like you mentioned. And, uh, you know, again, we don't... Uh, Look, obviously, I'm the self-professed shipper of this uh, podcast team. And, uh, you know, one of the things I like about it is that it hasn't really come up. And and good. Let's leave it like that. I mean. Uh, it's come up I, a little bit. I mean, they'll kind of dance around it a little well, bit. Well, they dance around. I mean, Logan, you know, it's. You know, I don't know. I mean, what's he supposed to be? He's probably supposed to be 30. And she's 20, uh, which, right. you know, I mean, isn't like a creepy age difference, no. But, no. but it's still an age difference. But True. Uh, but we do find out who's got her. Fort Xavier, former colleague of Lydecker, Major Jake Sanders, who's apparently gone rogue, 
Captured Bryn prepared to sell her and the Manticore technology to the highest bidder, which apparently is the, the Chinese at this right. point, at least uh, the Chinese and They military. weren't willing to take the next step and make him Colonel Sanders. <laughs> oh, and then Lidecker could say, do you ever see Spaceballs? I have, yeah, yeah. many so years ago. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> I was just, I was like, ah, I think they made him Colonel Sanders. I could totally pull that line from Spaceballs. It's been awesome. But you know, alas, I showed that movie many years ago in a summer school class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you got three and a half hours to fill. <laughs> right, you, know? you got to do something, right? Um, all right, now, Lydecker, you wondered when he was going to recognize Max's voice, and he finally does, you know, from the conference, right. and asks her about her seizures, suggests she returns with him. He tells her he has a treatment. And he says, it was the best of you that ran away that night. And I mean, is he just really throwing that out there to gain favor or does he really believe that? I don't know. I, I, guess, I, don't I think know, he really Dave. believes it. I don't know, man. I just, I don't know what's going on with this guy. That's, that's the, the, the crazy thing about this character. The awesome thing about this character is, you know, like one minute, I don't, I don't know what to believe. I don't know when he's being sincere and when he's not, he's just got me all confused. Yeah. So, um, now, he, he offers to help them get on the base at Fort Xavier. He then says, I would give my life rather than see Manticore technology end up in the hands of the enemy. Now, and that I believe. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's then the point where even Zach knows that he's telling the truth and, and that, that, that certainly we know that he's telling the truth. Now, they get in, Lydecker turns over Max and Zach to, quote, sweeten the pot. And now this, I don't know that we ever really get confirmation. Was that just part of his plan to have them, you know, to, to, you know, to get, gain favor with Sanders? I'll turn these two over to you because I know they're going to be able to escape. Right. I, I totally think it's part of the plan um, because... You know, like, obviously, he can't just walk in here and say, hey, you know, I want to be on board. They're never going to buy that, right? Right. So he needs some kind of collateral. He needs a sign of good faith, I guess. And and, uh, Zach and Max are it. Right, because otherwise, then, you know, that that line he just said about, you know, I'd die rather than turning over Manticore to the enemy, then that was a lie. So, uh, you know, we've got to assume that he figured they would get out somehow. Right. Right. and then, uh, yeah, and then you know, really the heart wrenching scene when uh, they finally find Bryn. We're here, baby sister. I mean, you know, all that hatred and all that you know negative energy that comes from Zach, and and he's not a very likable character for the for the viewer. No, not at all. But those four words, "We're here, baby sister," just really just you know melts it all away. Sure, that was that was a nice touching scene there with him, and the look of anguish on his face when he realizes that Lydecker's right. They have to take Bryn back. They have to give her back to Manticore. I mean, just the the you know that impossible moral conundrum that they're facing knowing that the right thing is completely the opposite of what he would normally do and just he's just torn up by that and that was uh i think the actor did a really good job communicating that you know there's no being of the breast no you know histrionics just this really distraught look on his face i thought was great 
Yeah, I mean, you got multiple choices, and all of them are bad. And and he's got to make it, like you said. Um, you know, before that though, Lydecker tries to cut a deal with Sanders, and then just kills him as he's about to right. shoot Lydecker. You're right, exactly. I mean, Sanders was getting ready to, to cap Lydecker, so. Uh, now, now we jumped ahead a little bit, which which is great. But uh, you know, the way they got away was classic. Max hangs herself. Zach starts screaming. And then, of course, uses all of the arguments that he knows will work. Do you think your bosses want them dead? You need to get in there, even though Lodiger told them under no circumstance, open uh, right. their cell door. Well, you know, for a guard who says that she hung herself, I wouldn't right. expect there's like a lot of, he's not a very deep thinker. Right. Yeah. This should um, be hanged herself. Right. And gets her out and. Is it Zach that says, that was pretty impressive how you got away? Gee, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I don't know how you catch that yeah. one. At the end of the day, he's got to make that choice. And and I, I feel like it was his choice. Max, we know, was torn, but I think she knew instinctively she had to let Lydiger take her. But if Zach had refused, I think he would have won. And so ultimately, I think it came down to his choice. And then again, you know, we talked about the the earlier heart-wrenching scene. Uh, Max promises to come for Bryn. They both kiss her, and both of them have tears running down their cheeks as Lydecker's helicopter uh, arrives to take them back to Manticore. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a rough, rough, rough scene. And then in the... uh, final scene we, we've got like two two scenarios here we see max at logan's and and again questioning do you think we did the right thing and and obviously that's going to haunt her for a while logan tells her you know you let her choose for herself yeah and she said i don't want to die exactly so, it's just the guy i'm 100 in logan's camp here that you know she said she knew what the choice was as well and she said i don't want to die Yep. Yeah, she I, she didn't say take me to Manticore per se, but she said I don't want to die, and they have no resources to help her or to save her. They had it was really no choice at all. Like oh, I said, right. it was a moral conundrum, but it, it wasn't at all. There was no choice to make here. They they made the right choice. The only choice that they had to make was to leave her to Manticore so she could get better, and that's what happens. Well, right, and uh, I think it's even Lydiger that says, "What are you going to do? Take her to a hospital? They're not going to understand what they're seeing." Right. So, uh, and then, uh, Logan sounding ever like Zach tells her, you've got to be more careful. And this is a huge plot point now that Lydecker knows what she looks like. Yeah, it is. And, 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 you know, it's like when the show first started, I just assumed he already did that and then it became apparent he didn't. So, and, but now he does. So it's all, it's all down the drain there. Right. So we wonder what we're going to find out here because, you know, the, the question goes, uh, the the question comes back, why does Lydecker want to round up all the X-5s? Has he rounded any of them up? Uh, are any of them dead? Yeah, I, I guess we'll find that out as we Does as he we have go. Jensen Ackles yet? And then the last thing we see is Bryn at Manticore, and her genes have been repaired. But before she's operational, she'll have to be re-indoctrinated and find out that it's likely she's just going to be brought right back into the fold. So maybe we have our answer to that question about Lydecker and the X five. So I don't know what else uh, I guess they could do. You know, I mean, that's, that's, he's, he's not going to deprogram her so she can go out and 
you know, live a normal life. So we'll see. Um, right. Maybe yeah. maybe she'll get to be the one that goes and beats on the, the new little kids or something. You know. Yeah. Now you know, I think Max still doesn't really get Zach's motivations. I mean, she does, but she doesn't. And, and I don't know if we're going to see Zach again. Uh, I think both of us learned our lesson long ago to stop looking at IMDb. Right. And, and uh, so I, I neither- mean, you, you know, we're going to see Zach. You know, plenty more. I think. Well, not maybe plenty more, but I mean, I thought at the end of the last time we saw him, which was two episodes ago, right? Yeah. Um, that okay. It's, it might be a couple episodes. Here's two episodes later, and already we see him again. So, um, yeah, you, know, you get the feeling that he's going to be a fairly, re, um, you know, a, a pretty usual recurring character. Yeah, well, you know, and unlike Birds of Prey, where we knew we only had 13 episodes, here we've got 43. So we've got right. two full seasons worth. So, yep. uh, yeah, I'm like you. We'll probably see him again. But then the question is, can Max survive living as she does, especially now that Lydiger knows what she looks like? So something's going to have to change, clearly. Yeah, the, what she has going her way is that she's so off the grid. You know, she's working at a place like Jampillion that thanks to her co-workers, is still completely backwards in how it's run. She doesn't have a lease. She's squatting in an apartment is where she stays. So she's pretty much as off the grid as she can be, but you're right. And, you know, it's not like Seattle is a massive city for someone who has the resources that Lydecker does. You'd think it wouldn't be too tough for him to track her down. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't think so. Um, You know, then... Is anything better than going back to Manticore? I mean, you know, is living a life of squalor, living, you know, a life where you're encountering seizures and you're just, you really just have a Band-Aid approach to to dealing with that? Because clearly at Manticore, they've learned to control the seizures. At least that's what Lydiger says. Right. And the same with the progeria. Yeah, and you know he also kind of raised this point. I don't know if it's a good point or not, but he did raise the point that Max sees her whole experience there through the eyes of a child. True. And so is it really all that bad if she saw it now? Would she think it was that terrible a thing? Well, I, yeah, we don't know. I mean, I, my guess is that, yes, it is still terrible, but also he does have a point that seeing it through the eyes of a child, you're not necessarily seeing it um objectively well anything else um no i mean i I guess you know the the whole like b story and the uh investor wanting to i actually tried to get his name mr cinder pather cinderum (laughs) if anything with like kind of what i just said it relates to the main plot in that the jam pony will not be a place where she could get caught like she could still work there in relative obscurity uh, because they're still going to have these, you know, outmoded practices there. Okay. Well, the one thing that I did think about in terms of that is that clearly there are international investors willing to come to America right, and sink their money to try to make a profit. So, you know, we don't know what this pulse bomb did internationally we did hear in this episode something about the east coast in a town that used to be called whatever it was which kind of implies that that the east coast is suffering the same fate as the west coast so don't know about 
India. I mean, that would be kind of a, a pretty interesting twist that the U.S. is now a third world country and maybe India has, uh, you know, risen as a right. global power. Right, which is completely like, likely. They have a lot of resources in India. Yes, they do. So, um, but one thing I, I forgot I wanted to mention is in that B story, when Herbal calls in as a fake police officer, uh-huh. he says, uh, you know, this is uh, Sergeant Peterson of the Seattle Police Department, which is completely and totally from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, I when, didn't catch uh, that yeah, one. Yeah, Cameron Fry, uh, when he calls in, oh, it's when they're in the restaurant and he pretends, goes like, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is Sergeant Peterson of the Chicago Police Department, you know, and everything. So, of course, the the guy believes that uh, Matthew uh, Broderick is completely the sausage king of Chicago at that point. So, all right, nice. yeah, a little shout out there to Ferris Bueller's Day Off is nice. All right, all right. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. If you'd like to send some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail dot com or voicemails via SpeakPipe which you can access through the Fatalist website. We will be back next week to talk about Dark Angel Episode 9, titled Blah Blah Woof Woof. <laughs> so, like until next time. Dave, I don't know if I've ever told you this about myself, but I've always wanted to learn to swim and sleep with two girls at the same time. Nice. <laughs>